Father God, we thank you that we can gather in your presence this morning, Lord, that we can come before you, Lord God, to sing our praises, to thank you, Father God, to thank you for who you've been in our lives, Lord, yes. to anticipate, my God, your presence with us, my God, as you walk before us, as you cover us and bless us, Lord God. Oh, we acknowledge you this morning. We just ask that your blessing be upon the rest of this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Hallelujah. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn them to the Gospel of John. I'm going to read a scripture there in John. We've been talking about love this week, uh, or this month, uh, and this week, love, uh, growing in, in love, and uh, what a tremendous, tremendous topic. I mean, if we could grow in love, imagine, well, we could change the world. We could, we could literally, we could change the world if we, if we can grow in love. We just got to get past ourselves, you know? We got to get past ourselves. Not long ago, I you know, in, in my family, there was a, a death in, in my family. My brother-in-law passed away, and, 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 uh, and I read this scripture, or, and uh, scriptures around this, actually the scripture prior to what I'm going to read today, uh, and it was so fitting because I saw how, how, how his friends and family, it, there was an, a display of love, how they loved him. And, uh, but let me read this. John chapter 11, verse 36. And I'm reading from the New International Version. It simply says, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Father God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Father God, these simple few words that you would speak to us. That you would have your way in our midst, my God. Help us to realize what your love is like. And what your love commits you to do in our presence, Lord God, for us and with us. And so I just ask that you would use me this morning, in spite of me, that you would use me this morning to speak to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have your seats this morning. This is an interesting, powerful story. One of my favorites, and I have a, a list of favorites. This is one of them right here. Right after the shortest verse of the Bible, there's another short verse right here in verse uh, 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So the, the, the verse right before this, it tells us that Jesus wept. He, he cried, and, and in his crying, uh, these are rare tears. There are only two places in the Bible that we know Jesus cried. This is one of them. The other time Jesus cried uh, was when he was approaching Jerusalem. And as he came to the city, he looked over the city. And, and knowing what was going to happen to the city, knowing what was taking place in the city at that moment, as he saw the city, the Bible says that he wept over the city. And then he began to say, man, if, if you only knew what, what God was willing to do, if you only knew the times that God had visited you, that, that God came knocking on your door, inviting, wanting to invite you with him and, and wanting to invite himself into your life, into your midst, if only you knew the, the, the nearness of God, the closeness of God. And he began to cry over the city because he knew that the city never saw God, didn't recognize God. And here he is again. 
at a different time in his life and he's weeping, but this time is different. This is different. Jesus wept just before he performed what is probably his greatest miracle. Now he performed all kinds of miracles. And I would say probably, you know, of course the greatest would be his own resurrection, uh, but, but the greatest miracle he performed on a person in his life is probably this one. And, and Jesus, now he performed countless miracles and John himself was the one who testifies to us saying that if they had written all of the miracles that he had performed, there would not be enough books to contain them in the world. There were just so many things that he did that they did not talk about more, that they did not talk about than what we have recorded in the Bible. So he, he, he performed countless miracles, healings of every kind. But this is the only time out of all of those miracles he performed where Jesus is seen crying immediately before doing the miracle. He was crying. He cried. He wept, the Bible says. It also says there in verse 33 that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved. Now, again, a first. He's performed plenty of miracles. But he is never described as coming to, to someone, a blind man or, or a woman who's crying for her children, you know, or whatever the circumstances may be, that he, he approaches a person and he is deeply moved in spirit before he performs his miracle. Never does, he, is it, does the Bible describe him as crying, weeping before he performs a miracle. But here he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled and he begins to weep. It's a first. We know that Jesus had compassion. That's, we know that. Uh, he's also been described in other places as really being you know, uh, moved and deeply moved and, and even overwhelmed at time by, this, you know, by the circumstances around him. But here, the friends of this man, Lazarus, they said, behold how he loved him by the show of his own emotions the show of his own affection towards him. In his tears, they were not ordinary tears. There was something about his emotions that came out that the enemies of Christ, the Jews, the same ones that accused him, the same ones that tried to uh, capture and arrest him, they said, man, behold, check it out. That's what it means. To behold means trip out on this dude, man. He's crying. Look at him. Behold how he loved him. And it describes just how, how moved he was by his relationship with Lazarus that Jesus began to cry. It was as, as if they couldn't even imagine that he would have such close ties to someone that he was unrelated to. He was not related to, uh, to Lazarus, uh, but he had such concern for him. He was a, simply a friend of his. They didn't live together. They didn't, uh, you know, he didn't know him for a very long time. In, in fact, in the times that Jesus lived, they were a lot like the times that we live in today. And today, there are people who rarely show their emotions. In fact, there are people who say, you never show your emotions. You don't cry. There are, there are men who will hold back, hold back, never show their emotions because for some, it is a sign of weakness. In fact, the, in the Greek mind and the, and the Romans, they emphasized hardness of emotions. 
If you show weakness, if someone could move you to tears, then someone has power over you. That was what they believed. That if you were moved by tears, then you are powerless in the presence of those people. This is why they saw God as being un unsympathetic with humans. Because if they moved God to tears, then they are greater than God. So they emphasize remaining calm in troubling situations. When you're confronted with sorrow, that you remain untroubled by it. And they would try to hide their emotions. The Greeks, this is Greeks and Romans. They understood God in the same way, having no emotions. Uh, that, that if God was moved by emotions, that somehow he becomes weak. So they describe God with the Greek word apatheia, which is where we get our word ap apathetic, right? Which, which means without sympathy, which means indifferent or uninterested, as if God is uninterested in what happens in the lives of people, unconcerned with what happens in the lives of people. And so for those of the Greek mind who were present at that time, they thought, man, if this is really God, uh, he, he can't be moved by hurts and, and the pains of ordinary people. He must be thinking of something else. He must be concerned about whether or not he can do anything for Lazarus. Or, or why did he wait so long? He must have other concerns because if he's supposed to be God, man, how is he crying over this guy? If he's God, he stands far above the trivial issues that people have. And so they tripped out. But the love that Jesus has for his friends, the love that he has for his friends can't be contained. Jesus was not trying to hide anything from those that were his enemies, for those that were standing around, for those of the Greek or Roman persuasions. He could care less what they thought about a God who has compassion for people. He enters into our experiences and into our lives, living with us, among us in such a way that he emotionally is attached to what you're going through. He loves you, he loves your family, your kids more than you do. He enters into our lives and he knows how he feel, how we feel. He understands loss and pain, Jesus does. And so the Bible, when it tells us in Hebrews 4.15, it says in 4.15 and, and 16, it says, for we do not have, get that, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a fascinating scripture. The priests of the Old Testament could not be in two places at the same time. They could not be in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God and, and among the people at the same time. They could not be holy and common at the same time. They couldn't be in the presence of God, in the throne room of God and in your living room at the same time, in the midst of your struggles with your family, with your children and your wife and with God. Their backs would be turned to you. If they were human priests, they couldn't be serving God and serving you at the same time. But we do not have a priest who is Con, uh, you know, uh, uh, locked into this, this single place at, at, at a single time. He can sympathize with us because he is both with God and with you. 
He understands you. He walks with you. And that's what the Bible is trying to show us right here, that God is able to sympathize. He understands with what we're going through. He talks to God and to us. He understands God and us. No priest could do that. Once they were in the Holy of Holies, they could no longer be standing next to you because they're in the Holy of Holies. But Jesus is in both places. Jesus is in both, and he is here with us this morning. We have a high priest who can sympathize, who does understand you, who walks where you walk, who stands with God and with you in the midst of your challenges. At the very same moment, he understands you. If you were to read through the Bible to understand who Jesus was in the midst of people and their circumstances, it always reveals him as Lord, right? The Bible reveals Jesus as Lord, greater than the philosophers that came his way, greater than the kings and the prophets that he encountered over time. In fact, the Bible declares that every knee will bow to him. Do you believe that this morning? Every knee will bow to him. Every tongue will confess to him that he is Lord, that he is Lord. Man, but, you know, when his friend died, but when Lazarus died, it's like God is beside himself. The master of the universe, the, the power, the most powerful figure ever is beside himself and he could not hold back the tears. He has fought, he has confronted many, many things. He's confronted demons, he's confronted storms, he's confronted circumstances that were impossible. But when he confronts a circumstance where his friends are in need, where his friends are hurting, he could not hold back the tears. He could hold back the wind, he can hold back storms, he can hold back the power of evil kings and, and demons. But when his friends are hurting, he could not hold back his emotions. He could not hold back his tears. And he began to weep in front of them. When they saw him weeping, the way that he wept, the way that he was emotionally tied with this man that he seemed to be distant from, they could not believe it. Behold how he loved him. Check it out, man. This guy really loved him. He is different here than he is at any other time in the Bible. Jesus is different here, right? Stop diseases, think about that. Stop the wind from blowing, the storms from, from raging. He stopped waves. Jesus, he, he stopped gravity, he could walk on water. He could stop evil spirits and evil kings. He could even stop the, own, his, the process of his own death and decay in his own resurrection. But when he sees how death and pain affects his friends, God is beside himself. The same Jesus who has the power to conquer death, the same Jesus who can wipe away every tear from every face, who's able to put an end to Satan forever, that same Jesus, the one thing he cannot do, the one thing he will not do is to hide his emotions when his friends are in trouble. When it concerns his friends, this is how he is present in your life and in my life. This is Jesus. This is a picture of who Jesus is. When he sees his friends struggling, when he sees his family in mourning, he begins to weep. 
This is heavy, man. This is, this is how present he is in our lives. I might not be there when you face the hardest troubles that you face in, in life. I, I, I probably won't be there when you're struggling in, in those hard times. In fact, you know, you may not find me. I may be, who, who knows, I, I might be at Chuck E. Cheese or something, you know, and you're really struggling. Where's Pastor Cam? Chuck E. Cheese? What are you doing at Chuck E. Cheese, you know? That may, I don't know, I may not be present. I may not be there when, when you really need someone. I may not be there, but he'll be there. Amen. He's there, always there. Amen. So when the people there saw just how involved he was in Lazarus's life, like where was he a moment ago? Was he here? Where was he, you know, a day, days ago when, when he really needed him? Was he, was he there? Although you didn't see him, he was present in a no, whole other way, present with Lazarus at a distance, praying, planning, preparing. Oh, he's going to die. Oh, they're going to feel the pain. Oh, he's going to be laid in that, in that tomb. Oh, man, when I see it, I won't be able to contain myself. I hate what sin does to families. I hate what sin does to lives, how it destroys and separates, how it breaks up families. I hate what sin does. And when he approached that tomb and he saw people in mourning, he began to weep uncontrollably because of the burden that was upon his life for what sin does to us. It moved him and he is not afraid to show it. And when the people there saw how involved he was, they were like, Mira, check it out, right? Look at how much he loved him. Not only did Jesus spend most of his time away from this man, he had known him very long. And so everyone was blown away. See how he loved him. So why would he weep? Why would Jesus weep? He was fully capable of resurrecting him. He didn't have to weep. He was fully capable of, of just raising him. He could have stopped death at, at any moment. In fact, he, he's the only one on earth who, who could have done it. And he had predicted on two occasions before this that Lazarus would rise again. He, he had already said, that I'm going to wake him up, that Lazarus will, will live again. He, he said it twice on two occasions that he was going to resurrect him. So why weep? Why weep? Jesus even predicted that that you know, once he gets there, it's like this death is sleep. It's, you just wake him. I can just wake him from this sleep, so why weep? If he fully understood that his death was only temporary, in that case, he could have just laughed. Can you imagine he just showed up laughing? He could have done that. He could have showed up at this, at this funeral and just kind of laughed and say, hey, watch this, everybody. Lazarus rides. He could have done it that way. He could have shown, you know, the power that he has and the plan that God had not to leave him in the grave and laughed about it. But Jesus wept. And he wept in such a way that it was undeniable to his enemies that he loves his friends a whole lot. He loves them a whole lot. These are the enemies. They could have said, you know what, man, this guy... This guy's probably weeping because what's he going to do with this man who's been dead for four days? What's he going to do with this guy? He's probably weeping for other reasons. But after witnessing the tears of his sisters and those who had come to mourn, 
And after seeing uh, where they had lain him, they, you know, he asked, where's the body laying in? And, and seeing their despair and, and, and what sin does to families. You know, sin separates. Sin destroys. Sin, sin you know, it, it cuts ties. The loss, he saw the loss and the pain. It was during that short walk from asking, where is he laid? Where did you lay him? And that short walk from asking that question to the tomb itself is where Jesus began to weep. And this astonished everyone that was present, that someone who claimed to be God was so moved by emotion. He didn't weep because of his inability to heal. Imagine that. Man, I, I can't, what am I going to do with this guy? And he starts crying because I, I don't know what to do. I, I did that first time I spoke. I, I was, it was on a Friday night when I was a new Christian. Don't be laughing, sister. First time I, you know, I remember my pastor, you know, okay, you're going to speak on Friday night. I was like, what? Speak on Friday night? And this was Friday morning, you know. <laughs> speak on Friday night. Never spoke in front of people before. And I got up in front of people and I just started crying, <laughs> you know. And people were like, oh, the Lord is with them. No, the Lord wasn't with me, you know. I was just crying, you know. Can you imagine Jesus crying because he didn't know what to do or say? That's me. That's not Jesus. Or, 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 or if you can imagine if he wept because of his own mortality, if he saw this circumstance, these situations in the tomb, he's thinking, man, that's what's going to happen to me. They're going to put me in a tomb. And who's going to resurrect me? Can you imagine if he was thinking that? Imagine that. But Jesus tells us in John 10, earlier in this in the same book, I lay down my life on my own accord, and I have the authority to take it up again. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down, and as dead as I will be in my own tomb, I can wake up again because I have that authority from God. So he wasn't weeping because of his own mortality, and he wasn't weeping because of his inability to heal. There will be no need to cry except, except that he loves his friends. Man, I want to be a friend of Jesus this morning. Amen. He loves his friends. Amen. So this story shows us a couple of things. One of the things that it shows us is that the friends of Christ are not immune to suffering. You may suffer. You may experience loss. His friends did. His friends suffered. They experienced real loss, real pain. They, they, you know, they were his friends, but they, they went through things. And it doesn't mean that as you become a Christian and a friend of, of, of God, that all of a sudden pain and circumstances go away. No, in fact, they might increase for some of us. Hello, right? You get saved, and man, what's all this trouble? Forget, man, it was better back in the world, man. You're not immune to, to grief. So if Christ's friends, whom he loves, die, there's no way we should think that we can escape, escape uh, death ourselves. If his friends die, it's possible that we might. If Jesus doesn't come back, that we will also. 
But, but the second thing I think, and probably more importantly for, for me, that if Christ's friends who die are resurrected, what does that mean for you and I? Of course, his friends suffered and they suffered pain, but if his friends evoke an emotion from Jesus the way he did here, if his friends saw him mourning and wailing, even in heaven, next to the Father, right? Can you imagine that when, when you know, like the Bible says, precious is the death of the saints. It tells us precious is the death of the saints, that, that, that it's like something happens and, and Jesus from right there in the throne begins to, to be moved with compassion the same way he was moved by Lazarus's loss. If his friends, the friends that he loves, are resurrected, guess what? If you're his friend, so will you. If you're his friend, he will not leave you to decay. He will not leave you in a grave. In fact, he won't leave you comfortless. He will come beside you. He will walk with you. He is present with you even this very moment. That is his commitment to you. Jesus is not ashamed of showing just how much he loves you. And so I, my challenge for us this morning and for this month is to grow in love. How can we show our affection to those around us? How can we show our affection to those that we care about? For those that we've become acquainted to, how can we, how can we break the cultural mode to stand alone? Our, our culture says, hey, be an individual, so much so that it's so, so, I'm so radically different than everybody. I belong to no group. I belong to no community. I belong to nothing. I'm, I'm just my own person, my own man. What, what if we break that that culture and say, you know what? I'm going to love like Jesus loved. I want to be tied into to the lives of others. I want to pray for people as if those their family is my family, their kids are my my kids, that their circumstances and burdens are my burdens to carry with them. We could transform the world if we grow in love. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? read verse 35 and 36 one last time. It says, Jesus wept. In verse 35. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the testimony of the, of the enemies of Christ. Their spontaneous testimony. Candid Spur of the moment, after witnessing your emotional ties to your friends, that the enemies of Christ would testify that it was motivated by love. And I pray, Father God, that that same love be revealed to your people here this morning, that we are somehow captured by that love, that display of love, that we learn to love others that we love others in our actions, that we love others, my God, in our, our, our behaviors, our words, Lord God. 
Teach us to grow in love. Father, that we become more and more like you. That we're not just people who are acquaintances and people that, oh, I, I know who so-and-so is, and I, but Lord, that we would love one another deeply from the heart. This is your will for us, that we grow in love. And so this morning, Father God, as we gather before you, I ask, Lord, that you would touch our lives, that you would speak to us, my God, in a very real and deep way. Father, that we would somehow take on in ourselves, Lord God, a, a humility, a, a humility that says that we are not above our brothers and sisters, a humility that is willing to reach across to someone else, a, a, a humility that is willing to pray, to involve ourselves in the plight of others, to involve ourselves somehow with the suffering and the struggles of others, to lift others up, to create a community, Father God, where our actions speak much louder than words. Father, where love is displayed, where people are healed simply because of the presence of God here in this place, a compassionate God who cares, a compassionate God who moves to meet the needs of those that are hurting. And so, Father, I pray, reveal your love this morning because you love your people here, right here in Inglewood, the same way you love them there in Bethany. And so I pray, display your love, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If the Lord has spoken to you and you say, God, first of all, God, I, I want that love in my life. I just want to ask you to respond to the Lord. Just come to the altar. Or you may say this morning, God, help me to love others the way you love me, the way you displayed your love. Help me to love others. Help me to remove the things in my life, my own selfishness, my own self-centeredness, my, my own priorities. Help me to, to reorganize what, what is meaningful in my life that I might display the same kind of love. Father, our families, we need love. Our children needs love. Our children, our, fam our, our extended family, our neighbors, our coworkers, that is the problem with our, our, our world today, Father. We need more love. Help us to grow. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Ooh.